Hello, your host Matt here. In this episode, you'll hear my childhood friends Sandy and Safra, along with myself, reviewing the 1984 movie Repo Man. You'll also notice references to another 80s movie, Tapehead, which is a later episode. We recorded uh, two reviews on the same day. As always, thanks for listening. Spread the word. If you would like a topic covered on this podcast, please feel free to throw it my way. And at the end of this episode, I will provide contact information. Thank you again. Welcome to the Wicked Awesome Podcast. This is your host, Matt, speaking. Today I'm joined with my childhood friends, uh, Zafra and uh, Sandy, and we're going to review the 1984 cult classic, Repo Man. And I know that both of you are, are very thorough in your research when you watch these movies. I can only watch these movies once and as i'm communicating with zafra he told me how he had to go back and watch this movie like two or three times and sandy by knowing you um you have done this before in the past so um i'm looking at my notes and i'm looking and i'm like huh what so you guys will be able to help me because I don't know what they refer to. So okay. uh, some of them anyway. Yeah. But, I watched them. I watched them each three times once just straight through for the feel of the movie. And as a reminder, since I haven't seen them in a while and then once with a commentary track um, and then once again, um, taking notes during the commentary track and taking notes during a, a second watch where I can pause it and not worry about the, the pace of the film. Gotcha. Gotcha. How about you, Sandy? Were you able to watch this more than once? <laughs> on <laughs> tape heads yes i took a second watch uh repo man i was lucky to get through it the first time oh my <laughs> just keeping it real from the female perspective here oh i know both of these both of these movies fail the bechdel test although they come they come close they're they're they they might they might survive on a technicality but i, I think they <laughs> Because there, there's a scene in each of them where there are only two women on the screen, and they start talking about something other than a guy. But by the end of the scene, they're they're talking about one or more guys. So, sure, sure, classic '80s movies. Um, I remember watching Repo Man when I was 14 years old at my dad's house. I rented it at the local general store. I think it was a copy of an original, uh, and it was a the sound quality was horrible. And I also remember my dad had one of those old tube TVs and that hummed like crazy. So Mm -hmm. that's what stands out to me the first time (laughs) I saw this movie. I mean, it's yeah. Uh, I was lucky. And I was lucky enough to see both of them um, when they came out at railroad square. Oh 
like, yeah, okay. Yeah, so I got to see, like, yeah, yeah, so I got to see him on the big screen. And Repo Man is actually one of the few movies that I've ever gone to see just me and my dad. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So you have that memory. That's great. That's yeah, great. It's, and it's a weird, it's a weird one. And they're all kind of random. This one, uh, stripes, um, which have you done a, a review, a movie review of stripes yet? I haven't. That would be a good one to rewatch. I love that as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Again, fails the Bechdel test extreme. <laughs> in the extreme. I think, I think most eighties teen movies fail that test. Oh yeah. To be quite honest. They had a very specific target audience. Oh yeah. It wasn't us ladies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. it was a total, uh, totally focused on guy humor and making a I'm, certain I'm, demographic. Uh, unless you switch over to, you know, the, the pretty in pinks and that sort of right. thing, but those also don't really stand the test of time. So. Right. Right. I would like to, well, I would like to do a John Hughes uh, kind of, show sometime where we just take two john hughes movies and just kind of evaluate them uh, because i do like to go back and look at those for the nostalgic factor but if i really feel like if you're re-watching these movies and asking yourself do they stand the test of time you got to get the nostalgic factor out of there completely mm -hmm. it's just like are these just good movies now on their own imagine yourself never seeing these maybe never even growing up during that era and yep. just do they stand up just as they are um, that's really really hard to do it it's, it's hard it's hard to separate especially you know uh, if it's something from your adolescent mm -hmm. Period. So, uh, music from your adolescence, films from your adolescence, foods that you encountered for the first time during your adolescence. Those are, I mean, the sense memories there are just almost impossible to separate. I agree. I agree. And, 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 unless you're very disciplined about your about your analysis. Exactly. Exactly. And I only and, took one film class in college. And the look so. on Sandy's face, <laughs> I, I I can tell that she's recognizing that or expecting that her uh, her heartless nature is is enough to separate herself from the emotions of youth. Exactly. I, I'm a very compartmentalized person, so. <laughs> and some of us are, yes. <laughs> so, uh, what are your notes on uh, Repo Man Software? I'm very, very curious. Oh, my God. Okay. So, a couple of things. Um, first of all, uh, another thing that ties these movies together is they were both executive produced by Michael Nesmith, um, mm -hmm. who was the, mm -hmm. the guy in the pom-pom hat from The Monkees. Um, who went on to have quite a career in in Hollywood as a as a film and music producer, um, and it was directed by Alex Cox, uh, who this was one of the first movies. He was actually barely out of film school, if not still in film school at UCLA when he made this film. And he talked in the commentary track. They talk a couple of times about having access to the film school, and in fact, um, there was something. Oh, the uh, there was a scene, one or more scenes that they actually shot in the control room of the of the the video studio at ucla um okay. the interior the interior of the um the uh the 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 feds uh um, oh yeah surveillance van that looked very ed woodish like playing nine from out of space kind of thing <laughs> yes i did notice that yeah so i think i think the first thing about this movie um is the soundtrack and oh um and it's you know, it's an incredible time capsule <laughs> of 1983-84. And, um, and I kind of, I, I highlighted the films as we go through it. Um, but 
you got to start with with the killer opening credits with that with the repo man theme by iggy pop um and that's just it's just it's just this you know punk surf rock thing and the way that they're doing um the maps and so the 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 visual of the of the maps and zooming in on arizona and then tracking across the the southwestern united states and following route 66 and then highway 61 and their whole progress um getting closer and closer to la and uh establishing you know, as they zoom closer and closer and, and, and move across the maps, you know, you don't really know why you're following it until you get to that last moment. And there's that sort of flashing beacon and they zoom in and they cut to the, they cut to the, um, the actual shot of, of the car kind of weaving down the highway. Um, and so I thought that that setup between the music and, uh, and the, the, uh, the visual part of it was, uh, was a great way to kick, kick off the film with a, with a level of, of energy and excitement that, um, that it really, that it really needs to to get to get everybody going. So the soundtrack does stand out uh, very very much, and I'll get into that when I go over my notes. Um, as far as the acting and the plot of the movie, certainly not really your mainstream '80s movie. Uh, <laughs> so what's the beyond the soundtrack? Uh, what is the appeal? Uh, I mean, of course, you talk about how you saw it with your dad at Railroad Square. But now, what what do you like about the plot or uh, what do you like about the cinematography? All of it. Well, the cinematography is fantastic. Um, the DP uh, is also um, a, a real pro. I can't remember his name right now, but he's uh, he's got quite a history. And there's a number of shots in here where you really see um how well how well framed they are and the use of depth of field um is really excellent i mean it's it's um it's a very well shot film for all its rough edges i would have to agree with that i mean even that uh opening uh after they go from the maps and they do the cop pull over uh the shifting perspectives and the horizon and the desert scene it's just that was just beautifully shot and the low angles, I mean, like mm-hmm. having the camera, like really close to the ground, um, a couple of times, but certainly in that, in that opening scene and, and following the, the, the cops feet as they march up to the car and, and what happens to them later. <laughs> yeah. And I'll get into that in a minute. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but I think, I mean, I think overall, um, you know, the one, the one theme is that Otto, you know, the Emilio Estevez character he's, he's like a blank slate, right? He's, he's a nihilist. Um, basically just looking, he's an hedonist. He's just looking for, for kicks. Um, he has no real goals in his life. Um, he just wants to party and, and do and punk rock out and get laid. Um, and he just, you know, is like a leaf in the wind. goes he goes wherever life takes him Uh, that's a really good description um actually and you think of like all the southern california punk bands and these middle class white kids that were attracted Uh to punk then you look at emilio estevez's uh, character and his parents that are into this new agey religion stuff it's just like they have all the necessities to for survival but yet they're their life is 
fucked up in a way. Well, uh, and then that's encapsulated in Duke's death scene when Dick Rude gets shot in the in the convenience store, and he's he has that you know impassioned you know uh, I blame society speech and then and uh and Otto is just like that's bullshit man you're a suburban white punk just like exactly. me that that is probably the 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 encapsulates the the film that one moment almost better than anything else right 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 it's just like what are you rebelling against i mean right. that's the question of it all but what do you what got are, what do you yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah um oh sandy uh yeah, before I break into that Grease song, which I will not do, I promise. Please do not. <laughs> I will not, I promise. <laughs> um, uh. I do want to hear your take on this movie. Read through all your notes. The good, the oh. bad. I, I would... Oof. The good, the the shots, the, the angles, the tracking, the soundtrack, good. Um <laughs> I guess if Emilio Estevez is supposed to be a blank slate, um, he does quite well at that in his acting technique. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he, he just sort of has that, that same look he had in another 80s film, which was also this, that was more of the, the chick flick. But it's just sort of that, that lost look on his face at most times. Mm-hmm. Um, not really a lot of range there. Mm-hmm. Um, what I really liked um, was sort of his his mentor. Um, I think that was Harry Dean Stanton. Harry Dean Stanton. Oh yeah, he was fantastic. Um, yeah. He portrayed the older, wise, and sort of <laughs> just get the job done no matter what. Mm-hmm. No ethics. Um, he portrayed that very well. Um, for me, that that was probably the best acting in the film. Oh, yeah, no well, and, no yeah, doubt. certainly in terms of of a of a. I mean, other than other than like a character who's a character just for being a character, mm-hmm. you know, he his his uh, his character um, Bud was um, he he made it out like he lived by a code, but he had lots of hypocrisy. Within that, which was, which was, you know, kind of the point, I think. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, the other notes I have um, just the way uh, there was a sort of that relationship between, and I apologize, I'm terrible at character's name, the mm-hmm. bald punk rock kid. That, that was Duke. That was the Dick. Yeah. Ray. So it was interesting, the dynamic between the two, like uh, there was the bed scene where mm-hmm. he's just sort of like takes off his pants and he's like leans back. He's like, here you go. Just, you know. Right. Uh, and then she's like, get me a beer. And yeah. then he comes back and his buddy is like yep. all in. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And he's like, all right, whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, that was an interesting relationship. Uh, but as far as acting goes, all of it, other than Harry Dean Stanton for me, was mm-hmm. kind of um, robotic. Okay. I'll, and I'll get into that later. Yeah, I mean, so I think some of that is a style choice. I mean, Alex mm-hmm. Cox's films always have like one degree of separation from reality. Um, okay. I mean, I don't know if you've seen Walker um, or Sid and Nancy. Sid and Nancy is uh, really good. 
really yeah. loves Sid and Nancy. Yeah. yeah. So, but he, but he, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't break the fourth wall, but he does. There's a lot of sort of like things that take you out of just it being um, realistic. Right. And there's right. things like, I mean, things like, you know, all the generic food. And yeah, the generic food come and then it's counterimposed against the product placement shots of the Del Monte brand hanging up. But then mm-hmm. it's and like, um, let's get a drink. And it's like on the drink. It says drink. It says drink. Yeah. Drink. Yeah. And the yeah. can when he comes home, the can of food, it just says food. food. He's like, <laughs> he, <laughs> it still has it still has the, the the lid on it and he's just eating it with a right out of right out of the can while his stoned out parents are watching the preacher on TV. <laughs> and I I do I do appreciate that that tongue in cheek methodology of of scene setting. Um, yeah, well, and it, I mean, and it's part of the the satire of Southern California culture at the time, you know, and not only not only uh, being a portrait of the punk scene. And I think the relationship with with Duke is a, is a good uh, an interesting thread to pull because it is about that brotherhood of of young um, toxic masculinity. Um, and the word. relationship, the relationship where, you know, where Duke, you know, the first, I mean, the very first scene when they're having the punk party and coup d'etat is playing and they're, they're, they're moshing around and, and Duke comes in and they just clench. I mean, they clench so tight, um, like they really are, you know, tied brothers, but then there's a looseness to it and there's no, there's no, um, every, it also becomes every man for himself. Right. Right. And as she flips through her notes. <laughs> so the, the female character in this one, uh, Layla. Layla. Yep. Um, she had me on my knees. Oh, <laughs> that joke. <laughs> <laughs> she was, she was interesting. Um, you know, it, again, if this is a satire, like when the FBI agents and she's running down the street, she doesn't even try to get away. Mm. Um, you know, not a very she moves the plot along. Not a very strong character. Not what I'd want to see for a female role model. But again, <laughs> it's an 80s movie. It was satire. Uh, and then the alien chasing woman. What was up with the metal hand? Zafra, can you explain that? That was weird. I was I like, it. it was, it was, is she, a, is she a robot or is she? It was supposed, it was, no, it was supposed to be a robot hand. And, and at one point you see her like fiddling with it with a screwdriver. Um, and I guess they didn't have the budget to make it a real robot hand. So they just gave her the Michael Jackson glove. Got it. Okay. I was just confused where that came in, how that tied to the plot. I, she, she lost me a bit there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, mean, I think in the commentary, there was any further explanation on her. No, just, just that, just that, just that they wanted her to have a robotic hand and they didn't, they, you know, couldn't swing that. Wasn't okay. in T- yeah. typical female character development in this type of movie. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> yeah, it's not important. We'll just put a metal hand on our new gives yeah. a shit. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> Hit your lines, hit your marks, you're done. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, but I mean, okay, so, I mean, in terms of female characters, um, that one, Agent Rogers, and then, I mean, there's only like four notable female characters in the whole movie, right? Mm-hmm. So there's Layla, there's Agent Rogers, there's Debbie, who's the one from the first scene who becomes the the, the Mohawk girl. That's a, mm-hmm. uh, it, it took me, actually, 
I don't think I picked that up in the the first time, like when I was a kid that I watched it, they were the same woman, but you kind of figure that out. Um, and, and then uh, Marlene. So Marlene is the badass, uh, the, um, you know, receptionist at the, at the repo agency, who's also somehow a revolutionary with the Rodriguez brothers. Right. Um, and so she's, I, I don't know if she or Debbie are, are, are definitely the strong. Well, I don't know. Layla is actually the only one who doesn't seem to have, I mean, she has something that's driving her, mm-hmm. but she doesn't have the level of agency that, I mean, Darlene certainly has and agent Rogers has, um, Debbie, I mean, the best scene for me with Debbie is when Duke's like professing his love and how he wants to settle down and wants her to have his baby. And she's just like, whatever. (laughs) And then they they snort some speed and run in and do some crime. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She didn't seem terribly broken up about his death either. So no, no, she's, you know, she's scrammed. She just took off when that happened. Okay. I'm out. Laters. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Such is the uh, kind of 80s punk culture with, you know, you add drugs to it and robberies and all that other stuff. It, mm-hmm. it kind of makes you not feel much of anything. No, I mean, and that's, you know, again, um, there is a separation. And I think the, the 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 nihilism of the of the punk scene is an important thing to remember in that flatness mm-hmm. of the of their, you know, less lack of dimensionality. Sure. And those characters. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't think I'm quite as critical as, as, uh, as Sandy is of, of Emilio Estevez's performance. So, so to place it, this is in between, um, this is in between, uh, oh, shit, what was the one, um, uh, just before this, it's, it's the last movie he did the next to last movie he did before breakfast club. Oh, he did a movie uh, before this one. <laughs> oh, he did. He did a number of movies before this one. Oh, he did. Um, okay. Uh, he was in, um, what's the one with pony boy. Oh, uh, he was in, uh, oh, the, outsiders. the outsiders. You're right. Yeah, he was in the outsiders. Yeah. yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah um, and, and right after, or the next, the next two years after repo man were breakfast club and St. Elmo's fire. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah. St. Elmo's fire is a, colossal turd of a movie by the way <laughs> uh, i saw that like maybe 10 years ago and i'm like oh my god yeah uh, anyway yeah. I, I thought it was no. bad when i saw it when it was first out in the theaters yeah i wanted to watch yeah out. i've never had i've never i've never had an impulse to watch it again oh yeah yeah that's just one of those movies that i think that ended really the brat pack if you will that was the mm-hmm. movie that ended the brat pack um, um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, so his, his first credit is from 1973 in Badlands, um, which I'm sure is just because, uh, Martin Sheen was his dad. He just had like a walk on in that. Um, but he had, he started his professional credit start in 1980. So he had been, uh, by the time Repo Man was done, he had about five or six credits gotcha. under his belt. Mm-hmm. This being Repo Man, probably I'm guessing being his first feature role. First leading role, first leading role. Yeah, I, yeah. I believe so. There's a film called Nightmares that he did after The Outsiders, and mm-hmm. I, which I'm not familiar with. I don't know if he has, uh, if that's role. a leading role or not. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So I'm not, I'm not familiar with the earlier works from his oeuvre. I see. I see. That'd be a whole separate show. The works of Emilio Estevez. That means you'd have to watch <laughs> all that, and you have to go through all the Mighty Ducks movies. 
included, you know, like, Oh what- God, <laughs> <laughs> but you would get to work. You would get to watch young guns. Yep. And you would get to watch maximum overdrive. <laughs> oh, you know, I've never seen that movie. I've never uh, seen Maximum. I don't, th- I don't think I've seen it since the eighties. Yeah. Know. I heard, I mean, I, the reviews were terrible. Uh, so I guess it's just right. one of those things I didn't want to waste my time with. Yeah. As are most Stephen King movie reviews. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> but I even found that book a bit of a clunker. Yeah. 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 Soundtrack's not that bad. Uh, yeah. Well, what I have, I mean, with the whole Mike Nesmith producing thing, mm. it, does this just mean he's an investor of the movie? I mean, no. so what is it? So what was his role? Oh, he was very actively involved. I mean, producing can mean a lot of different things in Hollywood. Um, it can be everything from just having a financial interest in it or um, being a star in it and uh, and getting a production credit as a part of your contract. Um, but it can also mean a very hands-on role. And uh, I get the feeling that Mike Nesmith was a lot more hands-on, both with this and with, with tape heads. Yeah, with tape, um, yeah. um, and, you know, taking advantage of, of, his, of his musical connections, probably in, in a lot of ways. Um, but I think Alex Cox was, you know, coming out of the punk scene. And so the, 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 the punk aspects of the soundtrack, um, you know, he got... Uh, so the 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 incidental music, uh, I'm trying to remember exactly. So there's so Xander Schloss who who plays the um, the dorky guy, right? The dorky friend. So he he uh, was a member of the Circle Jerks, um, not an not an original member. And the Circle Jerks appear um, in that one scene where they're wearing like the old prom outfits. Right. But that was before he was a member of the band. He became a member of the band. At that at the time, he was in a band called Juicy Bananas. I see. And, and the Juicy Bananas have a lot of have a lot of uh, credits on the on the soundtrack um, that are more sort of incidental songs and ones that you would recognize, like Institutionalized or Pablo Picasso or. Right. You right. know, any of those. I love great, Pablo. I love great tunes. Pablo. Uh, yeah. Great, great tunes. Yeah. 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 Well, and that and that's one where the uh, where the editing. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of the, the songs are are very well placed, right? Um, and very intentionally placed. And the Pablo Picasso one is, is you know, one of the shortest clips of a well-known, relatively well-known song. Um, and it's only there really just to have that one moment where to synchronize Pablo Picasso was never called an asshole with him ramming the, the, uh, the trash cans. Yeah. And getting chewed out by Mrs. Magruder. Right. <laughs> Yeah. And I just, I also noted how cool it was, the Iggy Pop theme song. Like the whole intro to this, and we can all agree, was just uh, really, really cool. Then when the Motor Patrol cop comes along the scene, I'm thinking, all right, chips, is that John or Poncharello? <laughs> I'm like, all right. See, I had actually mistakenly remembered, and it must be that he did, that he did a motorcycle cop in another movie, but I thought it was John Sales who uh who was the cop but it's, I, I think um i'll have to look up the credits somewhere but i know that i know that he has a cameo as a motorcycle cop in some in some film right then i made the note of when the when he opens up the trunk and you see the radioactive skeleton it reminded mm-hmm. me of that cheesy tv movie from back in the day uh what was it uh, the day after that's what it was called oh it was ac- it was actually an homage to time Rider. i see I see. But I mean, it's like, it looks cheesy and all that. And I kind of made fun of it and, and laughed and as I was taking notes, but now thinking back on it, I'm like, 
wait a second, that's kind of fitting of this movie. Well, so you're talking about the 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 atomic flash where you see yeah. like his skeleton. Yeah, no, yeah. I was talking about the the smoking boots. Oh, the smoking boots. The smoking boots, yeah. 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 It's like, I mean, if everything else goes away, wouldn't his, I don't know, is there something in his boots that would keep the boots from not disintegrating as well? I don't know. And why doesn't the car disintegrate? Ah. Sorry. Sorry. Ah. Oh, I know. know. That's me. Yeah, no. Well, you know, you got to stay, you got to stay within the dramaturgy, within the world of the, the certain things, certain, you know, things you have to accept. Right. And one of them is that, you know, for all the, for all the intensive energy that those aliens have in the trunk, that they never melt the car. Yeah. Yeah. They just make it hot. It's self-preservation. Exactly. I guess. guess. (laughs) Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Although they're already dead, so... So as the dialogue keeps going in this movie, I made the note, I've seen better acting in porno movies from the same time period. Um, But but I'm going to say something nicer about that that kind of goes along with uh, something you said, Zafra. thought I was mean. (laughs) (laughs) So it gets going, and then, uh, you know, they they have a circle jerk song, a a suicidal tendency song. Then you have Mm -hmm. Emilio singing TV Party by Black Flag, and all of this is, like, within seven minutes. And I'm like... Yeah, I know, I know. And that's that's actually something that I... Uh, realize about halfway through the film or, or maybe into the third act when that there's almost no recognizable songs yeah. in the last third of the movie, the last yeah. half of the last third of the movie, they are really all front loaded. It's um, very front loaded. Yeah. But there's a lot of good song transitions. So like, um, so when, um, when the, uh, the guy, the, the, um, the crazy guy, the scientist after the, after the, the cop gets smoked and he's driving away and he's singing, uh, Oh, my darling. Oh, my darling. Right. And then, and it cuts from there into the supermarket scene. And the first thing you see is uh, a sign for Clementine's. Clementine's. You picked up on that too, Sandy. Yep. All right. I knew it. Wow. You guys are better <laughs> than I am. You're more observant. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And then I wrote down this quote, auto, Auto parts, and yep. that, that's what, another note that, it, that that was a quote from the movie. Yep. Now I I can't remember what that even refers to and why I wrote it down. Oh yeah, no, that's that comes up. I think that's when uh, when he pulls when he comes into the into the repo shop yeah. and he gets introduced and uh, and one of the one of the guys I don't know if it's the rent a cop or or the boss or something. No, it's the boss. It's yeah. the boss that says auto parts. But I mean, and that's the thing, you know, okay. So there, there is a, there is a sort of a film trope of the, the gang of misfits, right. And the, the, you know, each one of those, each one of those characters in the, in the repo clan has, has a different role to play. And they're all, they're not just like, they're not cookie cutter weirdos. They are very weird in very specific ways, you know, like the, 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 uh, I never could quite figure out whether he was an actual cop or i guess he's a rent-a-cop who used to be a cop he makes up this whole backstory at some point where he talks about all the things that he's done and being in he said he was in the first two world wars right right <laughs> yeah <laughs> while he's crocheting well he's great yeah well, he's, he's, he's out there yeah. knitting in the corner and he's great <laughs> but um the uh I, I always want to call him william sanderson but it's not william sanderson the guy uh who is the um the the nut job that does the the plate of shrimp oh, mon- the plate of shrimp monologue was that Miller? Miller. Yeah. Tracy Walter. Yes. Yes. That's it. There's another great, another great character actor. Uh, he's been in all kinds of stuff. Um, 
but the plate of shrimp is another one where like a later scene when they pull up to the bodega and the bodega has the the plate of shrimp sign in the window yeah i also made a note of all the generic uh, cans and uh, food items that you see just very mm. and you touched upon that then i had this question did harry dean stanton ever play abraham lincoln in anything <laughs> I, he i haven't even googled it yet but i know he did i know he did he had to off he just looks he looks he looks the part yeah and then i wrote down oh boy a car race like in greece like with that oh yeah, yeah oh yeah it's like yeah no yeah. the l that la riverbed and it's exactly and it's been in it's been in uh, so many movies in that same yeah. way and right. so i think that they were they it was it was a um taking that that trope of the, of the car race of the car race down the the la river right um and it's it's pretty quick it could have been fun you know it been fun to let it go on a little bit longer but that would have been a different movie exactly, exactly. right but it, i mean there was one thing i mean it's real more realistic than a lot of those in that it, the car gets swamped right right it spin it spins out in the what little bit of water is in the in the basin there and and just stalls out and it can't go anywhere and speaking of cars i am not a car guy at all i mean people start talking about cars and engines and all that. And there's a valve mm -hmm. in my it head. Just it glaze just glaze over. Uh, yeah. It's just like, <laughs> I, I don't care. And I don't even want to care. Aww. It's just like that, that type of thing. I, I've never understood guys that get into cars like in Belfast as Offer knows, like every Friday night uh, when there's not snow on the ground, there's mm -hmm. a classic car show at the Runnies Plaza. And then they yep. parade through, through town. And I don't care. I don't care. It's just like, but, uh, but people bring their cars, their old cars and other people come and actually look at these damn things. Yep. Yep. I mean, all the power to them, but I did make this note. Um, what kind of cars am I looking at? Cause I'm kind of intrigued. Like what was well, uh, Emilio driving there? Uh, and of course the Shelly Chevy Malibu, which is the mm -hmm. focus of the movie we know, right. but uh, I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, wow, these are cool freaking cars. Some of them are, and I mean the Rodriguez brothers. Uh, that that Falcon um, is a is a beautiful, beautiful car. That's a classic, and they actually had two of those because one of them got stolen. Um, so they had two of those in shooting the film, and one of the something they 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 talk about it in the commentary, and it's not quite clear. They got it back somehow, but it's like somebody took it for a joyride, and they had to get another one, and then they ended up with two of them. Um, so I'm not, and one of them became sort of disposable. I don't know. One of them, one of them gets damaged in the, uh, in the, um, the, the, the later car chase with the, with the, uh, the federal agents. And here's the quote of the movie right here. And this is from the, the, uh, dorky guy that, uh, Emilio ends up, uh, in the car with at the end of the movie, mm -hmm. uh, the more you drive, the less intelligent you are. Oh, yeah. Yep. That should be a bumper sticker if it isn't already. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you think, Sandy? I totally put that on my car. I, I like cross-country road trips, so I'm going to respectfully disagree. <laughs> I see. I, see. Yeah. I like it. I like it. And, well, you, uh, I think, well, you picked out as that as, as the quote of the film. I think that the the um, ordinary fucking people is is the one that I think most people associate with this film. Yes. Yeah. 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 And that's another good one. Yeah. Um, as you mentioned, and we've talked about at length, uh, the soundtrack to this is phenomenal. If 
I think of the movie soundtracks, I put the Pulp Fiction soundtrack probably as my all-time favorite. I can't think of another movie where I'd go out and purchase a soundtrack other than Pulp Fiction and this one. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, th- those are my top two. And I I didn't realize yeah. that till I rewatched it. But yeah. Yeah. Um, as problematic as the film is, possibly Fight Club. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I Which has, has um, and then uh, again, a very not problematic in a different way, but a a very difficult film is, um, Oh shit. What is it? The, the one, I always say it's my favorite film that I can't watch again. The one with Jared Leto as the heroin addict. Oh yeah. Requiem for a dream. Dream. I love that movie. I love that movie, but love that movie, but we'll never watch it. It's so hard to watch. I actually own it on DVD and I think I've maybe watched it once since I bought it. Oh yeah, I have not even seen that. It's incredible. It's a Darren Darren Aronofsky. Yeah, yeah. Watch it, Sandy. Yeah, watch it. You'll be disturbed for two or three days afterwards, but you'll be like, "Wow, that movie was no." It's incredibly well made. It's it's Jared Leto and uh, and Jennifer Connelly and Ellen Burstyn um, are the most recognizable names, and um, Ellen Burstyn is amazing in it as Jared's Jared Leto's mom who spirals down into, into a, a, a um, amphetamine addiction. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's, it's such a, it's such a painful film, but so well-made at the same time. I stopped uh, giving credibility uh, to the Oscars after Ellen Burstyn didn't win the Oscar after that. Was she nominated? Uh, she was nominated for it, wasn't she? She was nominated, but Julia Roberts won for Aaron Brockovich, a movie that's completely forgettable. Oh, my it, God. Oh, God. You know, yeah. and it's just yeah. like, and uh, after that, I was just like, no, I mean, because Ellen Burstyn gave an incredible performance in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, I think I think that Requiem for a Dream is probably, I think Darren Aronofsky peaked early. And I, yeah. I don't know if, how much you guys watch of, more of, of his more recent films, but I don't feel like anything he's done that I've seen since then was as good. I mean, yes. Black Swan was pretty intense, but I mean, yep. nothing's been as as wrenching as uh, as Requiem yep. for a Dream. Yeah. But Black we're Swan getting won. off we're getting off topic. We're, we're getting off topic, but it's, it's, it's always good talking <laughs> movies. Yeah. So in my last little. <laughs> my last note for this movie and this was immediately after i finished watching it was i really don't know what to say about this movie because mm-hmm. i was left with like okay i already mentioned how bad the acting was the stage props were right out of a community theater mm-hmm. um and well it's 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 interesting it's it's half a step up from a student film but with yeah. with, but with um uh with some really i mean like i said the the cinematographer uh who i w- would have to look up has um some pretty impressive credits behind him and he does it he does a great job and it's got uh they had access to i mean you know we we think of these i mean they were definitely you know some of the some of the the the, the most well-known punk bands from the period mm-hmm. um and i don't know how much play those songs had had before this movie right right yeah uh, yeah i mean but, but it but it is i mean it's you know it's 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 a satire it is and it is. and and the characters you know i mean like the the politician um uh not the politician the uh the the, the i'm getting mixed up with tape heads but the the um the 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 tv preacher mm-hmm. 
right is a is a you know a wild satire of of that and the you know the the pot smoking hippie parents who give all their money to the the kids in El Salvador right um yeah i mean it, i think you, you have to i think you have to approach it that way and and there's no expectation for it to be you know realistic in that sense exactly exactly and that's kind of like the next day and even the day after that, when I was thinking about this movie, I'm like, wait a second, why am I still thinking about this and thinking about it at some sort of deep level mm -hmm. about the satirical things and about the message and taking a nostalgia aside, knowing that the special effects were of its time. I'm like, you know what? This movie works. This movie actually works. Um, and I think it holds up pretty well. I could see like film students watching this movie uh, and really analyzing it and uh, having deep discussions about it. Uh, but there again, it's not a mainstream movie. So, and uh, I hate to say this because it's so cliche, it's not for everybody um, be because of it, it's really not a mainstream uh, movie. Uh, back then it wasn't, and certainly now it isn't. And uh, Sandy, it's interesting, while Sandy was watching this movie, she was messaging me. She's like, oh, my God, I'm having such a hard time getting through this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to elaborate on that, Sandy? I mean, just the, the whole plot for me was a struggle. Um, the chasing around after this car with the FBI agents and this weird woman with the metal hand. And I get it was a satire, but just as a female, it just did not appeal to me whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And that's why I really struggled with it. I took my notes. I made it through. Um, the ending was oddly bizarre. It was, it was just painful. <laughs> <laughs> and painful. I am sorry for that, it, but it, for me, it was it was just painful. But okay. if you had a, yeah, but if you had a premise like, okay, I'm going to make a movie about this uh, punk rock kid who, you know, just your typical punk rock kid who all of a sudden becomes a repo man, and he's off to find this car driven by this lobotomized professor with radioactive aliens in the back. That sounds kind of interesting to me. Um, well, I think what, I mean, what, I mean, there's a lot of things I love about this movie. Um, and I mean, besides what we've talked about already, I mean, I feel like there are, well, I mean, the, 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 the character actors are fantastic. Um, and that's really engaging to me. Um, you know, we talked about Miller and, and Harry Dean Stanton is just incredible. Um, I did look him up, Matt on IMDB and he does not have any Abraham Lincoln credits. Oh, Darn it. And he's, and he is, he's no longer living. So, you no. know, get, yeah. Yeah. So, so he's, he's not, he's not going to, so, <laughs> so he's sorry about that. To. He should have been, um, damn it. But I think, I think, you know, a lot of the, the, the little details are really fantastic. Um, you know, the, the uh, born to be wild playing with the Vespas coming down the street with that, with that mod band is really fantastic. Things like the, uh, he's got at one point, Otto has got his, uh, after that um, he's got his feet kicked up on the desk and he's reading uh, a gun magazine called Outlaws of Democracy. Yes. I'm glad you noted <laughs> it's that. It's really, really hilarious. Um, using, using ketchup in the shootout scene as a blood splatter. Yep. Yeah. Was really fantastic. Um, 
And none of those guns looked real. That's what they all looked like toy guns. Like, well, until, until, um, the, until the, uh, the actual, um, revolutionaries pull out their Uzis yes, those in, the, in the, in the, in the hospital. And those look very, <laughs> those look very real. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of like, I mean, there's a lot of like goofs, little goofs and gaffes that I thought were really interesting. Um, like the, the license plate on the Malibu changes, uh, from the first scene, it's a different one in the rest of the movie. And then in the final scene in the, in the lot where it's, where the entire car is glowing, it's, it's, it's a mirror image of the license plate and i don't know if that was intentional i mean it might have been intentional as something that's like this is an extra weird part because nothing else there's stuff in the background i thought maybe first they just they just flipped the negative um for like whatever purposes like they wanted the action to come in a certain direction but i noticed that the billboard in the background is um is reading correctly left to right but the license plate is reading from right to left Wow. See, this is what you get when you watch movies more than once. <laughs> well, no, I mean, that was pretty, that one was pretty obvious, at least the, the not, the, not the change of the license plate. I didn't pick up on that the first time, but the, uh, but I, I think I, I, I saw that it changed because after watching it the first time and seeing that it was backwards mm-hmm. in that final scene. And that's another one where they use uh, low, a low angle on the car from behind. So the license plate is like right there in front of your face. So, which makes me think that it was, more likely intentional than not that they wanted something to to like add to the otherworldliness of the of the car that it, that the car had been had been flipped around gotcha yeah, yeah. Um, according to like rotten tomatoes imd it still holds up well in a critical analysis i think on rotten tomatoes it's like up it's above like a 90 percentile rating uh, even so it does uh, hold up well in uh, certain uh, i think certain. well i think that also has to do with the enthusiasm of the fan base yes right? it's, it's not that not that everybody who ever saw the movie gave it a, a nine or a ten it's that mm. the people who love it love it so much exactly. and the people who don't love it don't care enough to 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 post a a, a review <laughs> so sandy you know there's an opening for you go up and go up and balance the score on imdb no, I, I there you go <laughs> I am not the target audience, nor will I ever be for that movie. <laughs> yeah. And there's yeah. another there's another great moment when uh, when Bud disappears from the from the hospital, and there's uh, the, in the background the the preacher is 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 talking, and you hear him say, "He is risen." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just little things. Like that. Yeah, little things like I mean, those are the things yeah. that that you know I love, and the way that um, when they when they uh, they first get back to the repo shop and Herodine Stanton has given uh, Otto this whole line about his wife being pregnant. And that was just, I mean, I don't, it was hard, a little hard to tell whether, whether Otto actually fell for that or not. But when they came in, he's like, so what about your wife? What's going to happen to her? And, and Herodine Stanton is like, Oh, she'll take the bus. <laughs> Throw away line. Roger Ebert said it was one of the best films of 1984. So, mm-hmm. Oof. Yeah, so there you go. And I really, right. va- I valued him as a movie critic. I really did. I did too. I'm surprised. But if he was reviewing it as a satire, okay, fine. I'll, I'll roll with it. Sure, sure. Good. Oh, and I loved, I loved the, uh, the uh, inspirational book that came up a couple of times. Instead of Dianetics, it was Diuretics. Diuretics. <laughs> 
yeah. See, and that's something if you found that like in a, a goofy gift shop somewhere, like as a fridge magnet or something, only a few people would understand it, you know. And if that hasn't been created yet, damn it, I'm going to. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you guys for that one. And um, yeah, absolutely. You want to move on to tape heads? Uh, can we take a quick break? I want to get rid of some of this coffee. Yeah, go right ahead. Uh, why don't we take like a... And there you have it. I believe Zafra was able to get rid of his coffee. And as you heard, we took a little break before we recorded our review of tape heads. If you're listening to this episode immediately after it's published, you'll have to wait a little bit patiently for the tape heads review to come out. If you're listening to this episode days, weeks, months later, well, just go to the next episode of the Wicked Awesome Podcast and you'll be able to hear our review of Tape Heads. I love you all, and until next time, I can be reached at Brother Wicked on Instagram or Wicked Awesome at Matt3571 on Twitter. Love you all. Take care.